I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Good morning, Celtics fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Celtics Pod. I'm your boy, Adam Taylor. As usual, I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Will Weir. What's going on, Will? I'm sounding happy, but inside I'm internalizing a lot of pain. I know. You're, you're, you're doing it well, Adam. You're doing it well. I'm hoping that this is a podcast where you can pick me up, man. I, I'm not going to lie. Like, usually, we talked about this a little bit before we signed on. Usually, I can shake these games off pretty pretty easily. Last night stings. Last night stings, and it left your boy feeling sad. I know um, I was on playback with uh, with our other co-host, Greg, hosting a, a watch party, and it was a good time, man. Until it wasn't, and <laughs> and you know I, I I love I love I love the room that I was I was hosting in with the, my computer and my double screens all that whatnot, and um, my girlfriend looks to me because she wasn't watching the game with me and she was just like you do not look like you're in a good place, <laughs> and I was like that's accurate that's accurate so hope hopefully we can we can change that by the end of this pod. Yeah, I want to be straight up, man. Like uh, I said to you before we come on, you everyone knows my routine by now, and I kind of I strayed away from it a little bit. So I, I kind of checked social media like an idiot, but I just woke up. I was I was awake earlier than I should have been. And I'm so happy that I did because I came into this expecting a bad result. You know, yeah. I saw everybody like there was a mistake. Everyone was heated. How could this happen? So when I've sat down to watch the game, I'm like, oh, where, where's the mistake happening? And, and like, if anyone's read what I put out earlier, kind of like that sidelines inbounds play where Smart got blocked by Drew. Yeah, I feel like um, Smart received a lot of the the blame there, where I don't think he was. Question for you: Should we just start here? I mean, I know we, we can build this up, but should we? Do you think this is the the place that we should we should just start trying to break down this game? I think there's a bunch of different stuff that we can talk about, but this is probably the one that's lasting in most people's minds. Yeah, I mean, let's let's start with Smart because he's the one that's took most of the uh, the heat, shall we say? Yeah, and and I and I think you know, and I want you to jump back in here in a second because you did have I, I read your article before we hopped on today, and I've watched that replay so many times trying to figure it out and i mean it is a little reminiscent of and this is this is this is probably the one thing that as i we've talked a bunch about ime's growth throughout the year these end of game sidelines out of bounds plays have been a struggle this has been an and i don't know if it's actually all on him i think it's, it's certainly some of this is going to fall on the players and i know i was reading your article and listening to a few other uh, a few other takes about what happened on that play but you think back to you know the end of game three this was an issue as well right like that play was whether or not Marcus Smart should have been shooting three free throws, that play was a disaster. You know what I mean? It was it was never going in the right direction from the time that that ball was inbounded. And you look at last night, and I think it's easy to walk away with a bad taste of, of Marcus Smart in your mouth, but I don't think he's the only culprit. I think there's a lot of 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 blame. And, and to be fair, a lot of the players, coaches, all of them kind of st- stood up last night at the press conference and took responsibility. And we're like, we gave up all the offensive rebounds. We didn't, you know, get the stops that we needed to. Like there, there was a lot of, of self-accountability for it. But I think Marcus Smart got burdened with probably a little bit too much of the blame. But I'd love for you to maybe just maybe just walk through what you saw or give a synopsis of your article about what you saw happening on that play. Yeah, so I mean, like, I think there was about two seconds left for Derek White to inbound the ball. 
the, obviously the play, you could see that Al Horford had made a mistake. Obviously, it was to set a pin down for Tatum, have Tatum curl over the pin down, come up towards the top of the perimeter, catch the ball, drive or shoot. Or it was for him to, you know, if he got top locked, which is what the defense ended up doing, they cut off that, they cut off his ability to curl over that screen. You back cut, you face cut the dude that's top locking you and go directly at the rim. And then, you know, you can still pass to Marcus Smart at that point, but the ball can come into you. Obviously, you've got Bobby Portis there, but I'm very confident that Tatum can go up and under on that if he face cuts Drew um, or face cuts, sorry, whoever was guarding Horford. I can't remember who it was at this point. But there was options there, right? So Al Horford sets the screen late. Derek White has to get the ball in. Now, at this point, as I put in the article, Marcus Smart's got two options. You can feed it to Jalen Brown, but uh, that's where Drew Holiday is, and he's very like he's active. He's in that passing lane. It's not the, the greatest of pass. Or you lift your head up, face the basket, and all of a sudden you notice there's oceans of space behind your guy, right? It's Connaughton that's on him. So what you do, you blow by and you you attack the space because at the end of the day, the path of least resistance is always the path best traveled. So you attack that space. Then what you would hope is that the dudes on the weak side, Tatum and Horford, run something and get one of them free. So Smart has a wraparound pass or does a, as I like to call it, there's a release valve. When that pressure swarms in on Smart around the rim, there's somebody that's a more trusted rim finisher. I mean, Marcus Smart's finishing 40% at the rim in the playoffs. He's not having success. So having that release valve in Tatum or Horford helps a bunch, but they don't. They kind of just stay on the wing to provide spacing, and that keeps Bobby Portis from really being able to help off because Portis has to be there to, you know, deal with any cuts from Horford or Tatum. So Smart has no choice. I've seen a few people like, oh, well, you know, Jalen Brown is open at the free like at the free throw line. He's about to cut. That's cool. But Drew Holiday is between Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum, and Pat Connaughton's right in front of him. And Marcus ha- said after the game, I, I mean, I didn't see it, it was obvious, I, which was obvious when you watch the play and Holiday comes in and blocks. I didn't see him. So if he didn't see Holiday, he clearly did not see Jalen Brown. And and I, and I think you pointed this out in your article. It's a lot tougher pass from the angle of Marcus Smart than it is from the angle that we're seeing the replay. Of course, yeah, the right? bird's eye view, just like we're looking at it top down. We can see every gap. We can see, you know, where passes could come from, where they could go to. You zoom in and put yourself on that floor with, you know, six, three, six, four, six, five guys around you with their arms up and arms stretched out, running at you full speed. Those passing lanes and those like those little pocket passes that you see, Sometimes the opportunity seems so unrealistic. Like you can understand why he didn't see Brown. And even if he did, you could understand why he didn't feel like that was a pass worth making. Yeah. Don't forget, Smart doesn't have the size to deal with a double team either. It's not like he can see over the top of them. So he just had to go. I'm at the rim. There's nobody cutting weak side to give me that release valve for an easy finish. What other choice do I have but to go up? Now, was that the right decision? Maybe. Was it all on Marcus? Maybe not. Was it all on Marcus Smart? No, I don't think it was because at the I, end of the day, he had to do something. Yeah. And, and I think that this is where it, it starts with that beginning, right? Because even in live time, you know, and I don't know if it was just whether, you know, from the Jays and Al perspective, if they just didn't know the ball had been inbounded yet, but the play was so late to start and that threw off the timing. The Bucks seemed to have, you know, have it have it pretty well defended anyways, but it was so late that 
even if as, as you look at your breakdown, when you see Al go to set that screen where, you know, then Tatum kind of has that optionality of, of what he can do there. Like Derek White was already running out of time. And so at that point he hit the release valve, which, which was Marcus. And then when Marcus makes that determination to, to go baseline because there was open space, you know, I do think it's really interesting how quickly, you know, uh, how small of a window there is for a narrative to change. Because I think if Marcus hits that hits that lane on the baseline and let's say he finishes, all of a sudden it's what a wily veteran move, a broken play. Marcus Smart finds the gap because he's a, you know, he has this court awareness or, you know, whatever it may be. Instead, Drew Holiday, who has a hell of an end of a game and just, you know, just he was phenomenal, you know, comes over, makes this dynamic play. And of course, you you package in, you know, Marcus Smart getting stripped on the, you know, last second chance, as well as, you know, the fumble between him and Jalen on the missed free throw. And all of a sudden this becomes a, you know, I don't, don't want to say it's a, a red mark on, on Marcus smarts, you know, playoff uh, playoff report card, but it becomes a, a lasting image that you feel a little, I don't know. You don't feel great about the ending for Marcus. It's a blemish. Smart. It's a, a blemish. blemish. There sure. you go. Yeah. yeah. And I think that it becomes a stain if they lose this series. I think at that point, it's a stain on his playoff record. Now you talk about that that strip, right? That last possession where Drew mm-hmm. strips him. I've seen a lot about that today and I've had a few discussions about that. My take there is, your Marcus Smart is being picked up by Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis is on the, on the side of him. Drew Holiday is in front of him. People are saying, oh, well, Tatum was wide open on the wing leaking out. He was, mm-hmm. but in between Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum, there was Bobby Portis, who was angled at a way to det- like to deter that pass. And then I think Connaughton was even further back. And you've got to beat those two guys with an over-the-top yeah. pass. But guess who's waiting for Tatum while Tatum's leaking out? Giannis? Yeah. So just because even if you make that pass, even if you throw that pass and make it, it doesn't guarantee you anything. You know, that could have been where Tatum got blocked on the perimeter, or it could have been... Tatum got a charge. Maybe he would score. Who knows? There's like, you know, the multiverse and the countless opportunities that could have arose from there. But I think that again, from a bird's eye angle, you can be like, oh, well, you could get a pass there. When in my opinion, I'm like, Bobby Portis is tall and long, dude. And he's, if you look, he's positioned low, ready to explode to try and stop that pass. They're anticipating that. Then you look at like, and Draymond Green said this on his show today. Um, I try and catch every, every, because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a big fan of Draymond Green, but he yeah. also, he's won multiple NBA championships. So when he talks, I listen. Um, and he was like, yo, at the end of the day, the ball shouldn't have been in Smart's hands. Jason Tatum shouldn't have leaked out. Tatum should have come and got the yeah. ball from Smart. As soon as you see these guys killing the passing lanes, they're playing there, waiting to kind of jump and snatch. Tatum needs to come, collect the ball, and then go find his own shot. And if he doesn't find his own shot, maybe he draws that double team and then he can make a play out of the double team. And I kind of agree with that a lot more than the fact of Marcus Smart tried to be a hero because yeah. I just don't think it's that. I, I don't think it's that cut and dry either. That And, and listen, like the, the way that that scenario was set up, 
Drew Holiday had all the leverage. If he fouls, he fouls. If not, he aggressively goes for the ball and gets a steal like he did. You know, like worst case scenario, he's sending him to the line with, you know, where we end up back at the end of game three, where he's got to make one and then and then hope to to miss one and ricochet and and you get into that whole, you know, that whole conundrum again, which is super, super difficult to do. So Drew Holiday's coming from a place of leverage when he's going aggressively, you know, to go pick up Marcus Smart. And, you know, that's the, that's, I, I would actually, I haven't heard Draymond's podcast yet, but I, I do kind of agree. Like, and I can't remember who passed the ball in, but that's probably where it starts is you got to make sure you get that ball. You don't know what type of look you're going to get. I think there's like five seconds left or four seconds left on the clock. Like who knows what type of shot that you're going to get, but you, if you are able to get a shot and they don't foul, you really want that coming from Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, ideally. Right. So you want to have your two best players, your two best offensive players, with a chance, but at the end of the day, that that was basically a hail mary. That type of play, that would have been a play that goes down in lore if something, if somehow you we were able to pull that off. So I can't even, I don't even really look at that portion of the end of the game as as that much of a of a blemish, if I'm being honest, because there's so many other points, not just in the fourth quarter, but throughout the second half, that this game could have been different. And so it, it really was a steady free fall that got us to the point of where the Celtics were at the end of the game, that that particular portion for me is actually stung a lot less than the Marcus smart, you know, play on the, the out of bounds play and the missed free throw and not being able to recover that because that was a running theme throughout this game was not being able to get those rebounds when they were needed. Uh, you're on mute, Adam. Uh, feels like 20, 2020 all over again. Um, <laughs> we just had a comment that really fits in with what you've said, so I'm going to pull it up. Um, from John Loyal on Facebook, Milwaukee plays tough D. Holiday made a great play. Not boxing out was critical. Why weren't Tice or even corner in? Have to beat the best to be the best. Looking like four years in a row, management has failed to provide adequate bench scoring. The J Rich for White Swap could have been the move that killed our chances. Question mark. Okay, so a lot to unpack here. Uh, I personally agree that as with you, Will, and with you, John, that, you know, and I think I'm not reinventing the wheel here. I'm not revealing anything that nobody else knows. Obviously, the rebounding was a big issue, you know? A big issue, yeah. Yeah, 17 I think what offensive was it? rebounds will do it to you. And I think they gave up 14 second chance points in the second half as opposed to six in the first half. So yeah. obviously, you know, that's a big issue. The the only part of your comment, John, that I kind of take issue to is this Jay Wright for Jay Rich for White Swap. Like Derek White's been big time the last two games. He was also very. I've got notes here. Hold on, let me get my handy notebook. <laughs> Derek White had a big second quarter, and he was also active in the third as well. His defense was great. I was just looking for what quarter I'd put down where I thought yeah. he was really impressive. Um. He was, he's been impactful. Uh, could Richardson have give you some more scoring? Maybe, but from where the mid range in, and I said this when I done that deep dive on Derek White, when the Celtics originally acquired him, the elbow jumper coming off of a screen is Derek White's sweet spot. He just hasn't got to that much. And we've started to see that in the last two games. So I'm quite happy um, with his production. We've had another comment. Let me just pull this up. Um, First, let me scan it, make sure it's friendly enough. Yeah, okay. <laughs> None of this really matters. They need to focus on the next game and not dwell on the mistakes. What they need to do is analyze it and make sure Marcus Smart is aware of his surroundings. Next time, he made a good, strong play at the basket, but the defense was better by Holiday, which was help defense. But all in all, it was a basketball play. It's what NBA basketball is all about. But I feel it could have been a bit more aggressive. 
seeming it's the last last game, last play of the game, but it was it was just a play. Or was not just that play, yeah, I think. It was what we were going for. It. And I think that last and that's part from Kenny is, Gonzalez. And that last part is perfect. And, and I think obviously from a player perspective, yes. And I think that's something that, that we'll address later on here is yeah, how, I mean, do, how do you move on? Because that's that's ultimately, I mean, this is a giant test here. This is a giant test of resolve for this team. And we've talked a lot and, it, and it's interesting because I, th- I think Adam, you might've tweeted this out as well. Like this is a reminder. This is still a young team. They have experience, but they are, but they are still a young team. And this is something that we've talked about for the last two years that with the Jays, with Marcus, when you look at last year and now specifically this year, this is the first year they're the guys the guys you know what i mean like there is no more kemba al even though he's been stepping up in this postseason he's still not the guy i mean al had you know four points up until the fourth quarter last night you know he's not the guy that even though he did go get you 30 points in game four and 22 and in game three you're not looking to that night tonight you're looking for that consistent high 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 end production from the jays and marcus smart those type of guys night in and night out so them carrying this burden and having an elimination game on their shoulders after a game that they let slip away, this is a massive test of resolve and is really going to show us a lot about, you know, whatever's left for this season and what could, what we can build upon going forward. Yeah, I mean, first of all, like, this is a young team. You know, everyone's saying Marcus Smart needs to know. He's 28. Like, okay, I get it. Marcus Marcus Smart's 28, fair enough. But as you just said, this is Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's first year running this team without having somebody else to kind of guide the way. Uh, their mistakes are going to happen. What I will say, and I think you've kind of alluded to this as well, is this team since the turn of the year has been one of the most uh, responsive teams. Mm -hmm. Do you reckon that's the best word? You know, they've responded to adversity every time. They've been a good bounce back team. Yeah. Yeah. Pick themselves up off the floor, dust themselves off and then get back to it. And I think that when you look at like the growth of Tatum and Brown, that's not something they've always been capable of doing. Sometimes a bad game would put them in a week or two long funk and they'd need a game where they kind of blew up yeah, to, to get them back on track. That's not really the case anymore. Now, do I think that they need some better decision-making down the stretch? Definitely. Do I agree with your take on Emo Doka and his end-of-game inbounds plays course? Definitely. I think that, you know, in my, but at the end of the day, Udoka himself is a rookie head coach. It's not like when Brad Stevens took the job who had multiple years of being a head coach at mm-hmm. the college level. He came into the job with his own out of bounds plays that he'd been running for years and seeing success with. Udoka's basically starting from scratch in that respect. So while it's frustrating to see, it's just as frustrating to see Tatum arguing with the refs and, not getting back on D. It's just as frustrating to see Jaden Brown go hot and cold game to game, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just as frustrating to see Marcus Smart fire away freeze that are ill advised. But each thing is fixable. And, you know, as Smart's got into his 27, year 27, age 27 season, age 28 season, those frustrating aspects of his game have minimalized and minimalized and minimalized. So I do think that, you know, it's very easy to become frustrated with what we're seeing right now. But it's also good to remember how frustrating Smart was two or three years ago and how quickly guys can add to their game, develop their game, and then become a more complete player because of that. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen a, a crazy amount of growth from from Marcus Smart over over the last couple of seasons, and especially this season. 
it, it is hard to keep away that creeping doubt that you know, the, at, at a few select moments last night, it felt like a little bit of old hero ball searching Marcus Smart. Although, like I said, like we've talked about, I don't think that's entirely fair, but I understand the, you know, the the creeping reminders of of old school or, or erratic Marcus Smart. And, and I'm choosing to believe that he'll have a a, a solid bounce back game. But the, the, the toughest part of, of last night, Adam, is that I think you look at the last three games, all three games, each each team could look at as they should have won. They should have won all three. But at the end of the day, Milwaukee was the one that got two out of these three games. Boston had a chance to steal game three. Couldn't do it. Boston made an awesome comeback in, in game four. Got their separation about midway through the fourth and, and really held off Milwaukee at about an arm's length after that. Last night, a game Boston felt like feels like they should have had in hand, felt like it was theirs, got snatched away at the last minute. And when you look at games three and five that came down to the last couple of plays within about a minute, you know, under a minute to go in the game, it it's it's looking tougher and tougher for me to see a path in which the, the Celtics come back and win these next two when you've had those two opportunities that have kind of been almost coin flips in the last 30 to, you know, 30, 40 seconds of a game and Milwaukee's gotten both of them. That's going to be really tough, and that's where my outlook for the series is a lot more dim this morning, despite everything you said about when you look at the issues and you look at, at where the series is at, a lot of it's correctable. A lot of it's fixable. I don't think there's any type of, you know, like it's not out of the realm of possibility to win these next two games, but knowing that there's two games that were on the line under a minute to go and Milwaukee got both of them, it feels like it's a tough mountain to climb right now. Do you know what's messing with my head? The, the way it's gone is last win, last win, last win, last. Mm-hmm. So they win game six. Well, then what? what's next? By looking at the repeti- like the math and the repetition, game seven doesn't look great. Now, I, I said on the last episode that I was very, very bullish on Boston's chances of winning a game seven because it's at the TD Garden. Yep. Milwaukee have won two of their three D, two of their three game, two, yeah, twice. Two of their three wins have come in the garden in boston so obviously they're not really phased by the the hostility the animosity like they're coming in and they're do, they're handling their business and this is you know at the end of the day it's very easy to forget these guys are the reigning nba champions that sure. they're already built to win they know what it's like to be at this these high pressure moments so expecting boston to win two straight is really difficult can they yes because i think that two of their three losses again um against milwaukee have come from self-induced errors you know i feel like yesterday's game or two days ago uh game by the time people download this episode i feel like that game was boston's to win and they threw it away the uh the game the, the last before that boston had a bit of a lead and then they just kind of choked down and they struggled to hold it and then they went behind and fought back and then they went behind again for me it's more about cleaning up the errors because the Celtic, at the end of the day, yeah, the Celtics are the better team right now. Chris Middleton is not playing. Yeah. And if you can't put, like, and that's the thing, right? Like, you're struggling to beat Milwaukee without Chris Middleton. And that must make you concerned in itself because you're like, well, what would happen if Middleton was there? Now, I think the series is a bit different then. I think the defense is a little bit more open to drive to the rim. I think Tatum gets going a little bit more. But, you know, again, multiverse decisions. <laughs> but I do think that, 
the Celtics, all they need to do is clean up their errors because they're the ones shooting themselves in the foot on each and every loss. And it's not that Milwaukee are better. It's that Milwaukee are better at taking advantage of any yeah. slip up. I think that's well said. I mean, I think you, you think of the the opportunities that have been available to go ahead and, and lock some of these games games up. Milwaukee has snatched them. In game three, the Celtics missed their open threes, couldn't, couldn't get the stops when they needed them. Last night, the offense falls apart late. They stop driving. They stop driving into the lane. They can't secure the offensive rebounds. They can't get the out. They can't get the out of bounds play right. And Milwaukee is able to go ahead and snatch that with Drew Holiday and Bobby Portis, guys that were on this championship team last year. So I, I really think it's it's those little things that are that are separating these two teams right now. And it's it, and I think once again coming back to that Chris Middleton part, I've said all series that I felt like the Chris Middleton absence. The longer the series go is, is is going to be the difference, which is why I've been so steadfast in saying Celtics and six. And then I think last time we talked about, okay, at this point, it feels more like Celtics and seven. But the way the game went down last night, it, it, it really, I talked to multiple people that were in the building. That crowd was devastated walking out of the TV card. Just... just silence as people left their seats last night and you know there, there is still going to be a chance to bounce back and i tweeted this out adam and i want i wanted to bring this up so last year this exact time last year as nba fans the brooklyn nets beat the milwaukee bucks in game five kevin durant has an epic performance they're up three two everyone in the nba world has bud fired as soon as they lose this series everyone has the bucks losing this series everyone has this is over kevin durant's the best player in the world nets are going on to the next round let's start talking about you know when Kyrie's coming back is hard and going to be healthy let's start start looking ahead to that everybody everybody had penciled in brooklyn to go ahead and take that series after they went up three two we know what happened brooklyn i mean milwaukee came back they won game six. They won that unbelievable game seven with Kevin Durant's foot on the line, win that game in overtime. They go on to win the NBA championship. Bud is still the head coach. Bud Budenholzer is still the head coach of, of the Milwaukee Bucks. So to say that the history is written, it's just simply not. So I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility the Celtics win these next two games, but I do think it's looking grim. I, can't, I have to be honest in that regard. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not as confident in a game seven victory as what I was. Yeah, but no you, way. Like, you know, there there hasn't been an elite offensive performance from Jason Tatum in this series yet. He's been good. He's played high-level games. We haven't seen an elite, I'm here, I'm a superstar game. And I think that that's the difference now. I think if Tatum can go God mode mm-hmm. in game six, you know, real, I mean, real God mode, like 40, 50, 50 yeah. and 10 with five assists, like proper, like what we know he's capable of when he needs to be. If he can find a way to to hit that level and all of a sudden just become a dominant scorer, which is what they need right now, then all of a sudden Boston's chances go through the roof. But you can't you can't wait for him to do that in game seven because game seven isn't promised. Game six is. So if there was ever a time for Tatum to kind of 
re-emerge like you know he had that great series against brooklyn everyone was like this is it jason tatum's ascending he's a top seven guy and then this series kind of puts question marks over those over those claims and you know maybe tatum's great when the matchup suits or whatever it may Mm be if he can come out give you a 40 or 50 point performance really like drag hit the team onto a game seven well now the momentum swings back to boston because tatum's arrived on that stage he's he's full of confidence he he's flowing and then you can feel a bit better about it if this is just more of the same what's the point in winning game six well let me ask you this because this brings up a question i'm I'm starting to think about here and and let's use marcus smart and jason tatum because i I feel like this is going to apply to them the most who do you think has more pressure to have to have a great game six is it Marcus Smart because he's almost fair or not the face of that of that fourth quarter collapse in Game Five, or is it Jason Tatum for all the reasons that you just laid out? I think that Marcus Smart's been here, done that, and got the T-shirt right. Like yeah, at like the that. end, <laughs> like Marcus Smart has been public enemy number one before. He knows mm-hmm. what this is like. He's made high, he's made mistakes in big games before. And he's proven that he's capable of bouncing back. So I think there is pressure on his shoulders to perform better and be more decisive down the stretch. But I don't think that pressure is as big as what it is on Tatum because at the end of the day, this is Tatum's team. The keys are in Tatum and Brown's hands. And Brown is performing his role as a secondary scorer perfectly. So the ball's in, literally the the ball is in Tatum's hands now. We need him. Yeah, you need him to give you his five, six, seven assists a night. Yeah, you need the seven to 11 rebounds a night. Great. But at the end of the day, you're the team's dominant scorer. You're the guy that's put in place to go get go get a bucket. When it, when the defense locks down and an opportunity isn't there, make something happen. You're the star. You're the guy that everyone says is a superstar. Now's time to be. This is when superstars rise, when, when their backs yeah. are against the wall, when their team is on the brink. This is when a superstar gives you a superstar performance. And in my opinion, that pressure should be on Jason Tatum right now. Yeah, I, I think ultimately I agree with you. You know, heavy is the head that that wears the crown. You can see my my biggie. See my see my biggie in the background here. You know, like so ultimately that's where it's going to fall. This is a superstar driven league. Jason Tatum is either already a superstar or is on the precipice of superstar, however you choose to define that. He is in that mix, and ultimately this becomes some form of a of a legacy game for Jason Tatum or could become a legacy game for Jason Tatum to force that uh force that game seven to get back to Boston. I do think There is pressure on Marcus Smart, though. So I I would agree with you. I think there's more pressure on Jason Tatum. But I do think all the goodwill that has been built up on the Marcus Smart, look, he's been given the keys to the keys to the car. He's the point guard. Look (laughs) at what he's doing. You know, big ball one. He's defensive player of the year. Here's the new Marcus Smart. If he spirals from from game five. And I'm not saying that he will. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there as as a potential option because that is a really tough loss to bounce back from. And when you're being looked at as as part of the face of it, even if that's fair or not, you know, that if that does spiral into let's say he has a performance like he did in game three, which wasn't good. That was not that was not a good Marcus Smart game. He has that type of game, or he has one of those old school Marcus Smart looking for the hero ball type shots, driving into the lane wildly, taking too many threes. A lot of the goodwill and this and I don't think this will be fair once again, but that's not the world we live in where everything's fair is that 
all of the goodwill that he's built up with all of the development that he's had with his decision-making, with his play, with his leadership, with everything that he's done. I do worry that if he has a bad game, all of that could, could be for not. And, 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 the, and it might not be fair, but that, I think that's a realistic possibility if he has a dud of a game six. But the problem is, right, and the concern for me, I wouldn't say it's a problem, but the concern I have there is pressurized Marcus Smart is the Marcus Smart you don't want because that is the Marcus Smart that will make those mistakes you're saying. That is mm-hmm. the Marcus Smart that will jack up freeze. That is the guy that will over-dribble, over-penetrate, run plays and call his own number because that is the version of Marcus Smart that we've seen when he's trying to prove himself. Which is why I'd like some like I'd like to believe that he's self-aware enough to understand that and be like if it really no, is different, now's the time to be different. Yeah, you know, the team need me to be the playmaker. I need to be the one setting up these plays, dropping these dimes. The shooting's great and everything, but that's not my role. We need to I need to get Tatum going. I need to get Brown going because that is the version of Marcus Smart that generated this goodwill in the first place. And that's the version of Marcus Smart that can help lead the Celtics to a game six win. You know, under pressure Marcus Smart trying to prove your worth, that version of Marcus Smart is the version that can sometimes he's gonna win you a game, you know, might set a record because that's the type of guy Smart is. Yeah. One minute he's missing everything, next minute he's on guard mode. But Overall, I'd much rather him focus on what generated him the goodwill this year and double down on that than regress because the pressure is too heavy. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it earlier. This this team has been resilient this year, so I, I I expect them to come out and fight. This is never this has not been a team that, especially in 2022, has been one to roll over. And when you look at you know Ime Adoka's approach and how they really seem to feed off his energy of accountability. They all, like I said, they all took accountability for, for what happened in game five. There was no yeah. finger pointing. There was no, you know, blaming the refs or whatever. Not that you could, but I'm just saying there, it, it was, it was on us. We didn't get the offensive rebounds. We didn't hit the shots. We didn't run the plays. We, it was, it was a big time. We team loss and it stinks. It stings, but there is that, you know, that, 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 team culpability that team ability to to kind of rally around that as well which i think is another option for this game that you may see that it brings the troops together brings them to a level that gets them to get a win on the road in game six and bring this back unfortunately Giannis has never lost a closeout game so we'll see how that goes he's eight no in those thus far it is in his young career so it, it would be the first so but there's always got to be a first right someone's got yeah it. So always why not us why not why us? not and okay, so here's the last thing I want to touch on. Now you've mentioned Janice. I've been waiting for an in on this. I feel like Milwaukee unlocked something to get Giannis better looks at the rim. I feel like they found a matchup that they favor. They found a matchup that they can dominate. And not just with Giannis, they ran it with Drew. They ran it with shooters. They really, and it shocked me to my core, to be very honest, they really picked on Jalen Brown on defense. Yeah. Like dramatically. Like I was like, at the first couple of plays, I'm like, yo, y'all are, bra- y'all are brave. You, like, you know, Jalen Brown's no slouch defensively. But it turns out that maybe he is susceptible against Giannis. Maybe Drew's physicality, he's susceptible there too. Because they were, they were forcing switch after switch to get Brown onto those two dudes. And Brown just had no answer for either of yeah. them. Now, they need the Celtics need to figure out what they're going to do in that scenario. Because even like... 
that was happening early in the game. It's like, and I'm like, oh, okay. Udoka's going to call a timeout. He's going to implement something to get Brown off that switch, you know? Or if he switched on, they're going to run a scram or they're going to do something. But they just let it ride all game. And the switch happened and it was almost a guaranteed bucket every time. Uh, I'm not saying that Brown's a bad defender, but that matchup against Drew or against Giannis would just, was just not favorable. Yeah. And Milwaukee spammed it. You know, when you're playing 2K and some dude's just hitting that same step back free every every possession and all of it, he blows you out like 21-2 because he just <laughs> spammed the same move. And, and it felt like that. And, you, and you're helpless. You can't do anything to stop it. You can't do anything to stop it, dude. Cause it's like, and then you're like, well, if they now they've figured that out and they've unlocked the code there, you, the Celtics need to find a way to, to shore that up. You know, maybe they put a help defender in there. Maybe when Rob Williams back, it's not so easy. That, that, that's got- where I was gonna I was gonna say is I wonder because I think you know Tice didn't play well in Game Four. I thought he played well last night. You know, obviously could have used the the whole team could have used a few more rebounds. So I'm not gonna put that squarely on Daniel Tice's 11 and a half minutes that that we didn't get enough rebounds. But I thought he filled in adequately last night. Obviously, I think he scored about 11 points. But I do wonder if if they go to that same you know trying to attack Jalen. But now you have to factor in Rob Williams coming from that rover position somewhere on the court, from the left side or the right side. Is that as as ideal of a matchup? Because I think when you look at the team that's out there and you're trying to pick who your your matchup is, you know, I, I mean, there, there's not really, and we've talked a lot about this, there's not really like, other than when Peyton Pritchett's in the game, there's not really a guy you can look at and say, that's who I'm targeting. That's who I, I want to target because you all you feel pretty good about all the defenders the Celtics can put out there, but but to me I think of it a little bit like from those those warrior not the current warriors but the but the the past warriors teams with the lineups of death, and people would say we well, got to go pick on Steph Curry and like Steph Curry's not a bad defender but he was a, he was the worst defender out of the five that were on the floor right yeah. so he was the one that you go pick on and I think it's a little bit similar in the sense that maybe that's how they feel about Jalen Brown when he's out there with Al Horford Grant Williams Jason Tatum Marcus Smart maybe even Derek White like maybe that's just the matchup for them where they're like hey listen like Jalen's pretty good but if we feel good enough and he's the one he's the one out of these five that we feel we can pick on that's where we're going to go attack and, and Giannis has done that a couple times not just last night but throughout the series Giannis has picked a couple times against Jalen and, you know, I, I think a little bit of it is using Jalen's, I don't know if bravado is the right word, but he, he's willing to, to hang in there and, and absorb that contact, which ultimately he's just not as big as Giannis or as big as Grant Williams is when that contact comes. And so sometimes that just leads to fouls. And you saw a couple times in the last two games when Jalen ended up on Giannis, but he didn't want to get another foul. He has to be a little bit more tentative. And so maybe that's part of the reason they look to go to that matchup so often. Yeah, and that, that's fair. And uh, like because he probably is the the most eager, he probably is the one that's going to be most challenged by dealing with that um, aggressiveness and that strength. But my downside to putting Rob back, having Rob back, is sure that deters Drew Holiday from running those matchups, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm not. I don't think Giannis is scared there. I think Giannis still forces. He probably good. That or he goes back to hunting Rob like he had done in earlier earlier you know in the I'm series saying? as well. Yeah, yeah. Or he does both because I just don't yeah. think Giannis is scared of anybody. I think Giannis's concerns are when Grant Williams is in the paint or when Al Horford is picking him up yeah. on a drive because Al's done great at getting strips. Stripped him I, three times last night. I do not think Giannis cares one little bit about Rob Williams' shot blocking ability because Giannis is Rob Williams has been bouncing off of him. Yeah, like I don't think he cares. 
Yeah, I, do I don't think to... he does either. It's the, the, the matchups for, like you said, the matchups for Giannis that give him trouble are going to be Grant now. Those are the only two that I think he's even Apparently mildly Pritchard. concerned about. So Apparently Pritchard too, <laughs> as well. Yeah, little mighty might of Peyton Pritchard. But, um, but I agree with what you're saying in general. Like, you know, Brown is probably just the best of a tough bunch. Like, you're just yeah. picking who has a flaw. It's not so much who's the weakest anymore. It's who has a flaw that fits what I need to attack. And part of that is what the frustration was last night on the other end for the Celtics. Offensively, you know, they stopped trying to attack the Grayson Allen or the Pat Connaughton's that were out there. They they didn't go and hunt the matchups that, that they probably should have, especially when you find yourself in the bonus under eight minutes and you end up with as many free throws as you do turnovers uh, and only two shots in the paint in that entire time frame. You know, those are the guys that you should be attacking. So, you know, the, the line of thinking makes sense. We'll see. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see if that changes at all with with Rob, like we've talked about. Um, but most likely, I think for Giannis, it just doesn't matter. As long as he's getting away from Al Horford and Grant Williams, he's cool with whatever you want to do. Yeah, and he's going to take advantage however he can, whenever he can. And, yeah. you know, I don't think there's much you can really do. Also, real quick, Adam, I knew we were in trouble. When, when Giannis started bleeding, I knew we were in trouble because once you saw that blood start to trickle down from his eye... I'm very big into like the playoff narratives of of the NBA and the league, and, and you think yeah. of these iconic photos and moments, and now you know they're just showing nothing but that blood coming down as Giannis fights back and claws his team. It's like, oh, God, I can already see the montages of this moment living on throughout, because Giannis is going to be around for a minute. Giannis ain't going anywhere. <laughs> Giannis is going to be winning MVPs, and I don't know what's going to happen this year. He's going to win another championship at some point, most likely. Like, like this dude's going to be top 10, 15 all time. Like that, that's his trajectory right now, unless something happens. That's his trajectory that he's on. And him bleeding from that eye is going to be part of, you know, his historic, um, you know, video reel that lives on. And once I saw that, I, I knew we were in trouble. Not even for anything basketball related, just thinking about, you know, the future state of, of, of Giannis' highlight reel, the narratives behind it. I knew we were in trouble. So Disney are releasing a Giannis film. Soon, I just saw this, right? yeah, yeah. So do you reckon they delay it so they can add a scene in of the Giannis bleeding? Because you're future-proofing stuff? They're going to cut that clip up. It will, I guarantee you it will be at the end of that film. <laughs> <laughs> if not now, then they're going to re-release it. That's what they're going to do. When it hits the streaming service, they'll release it in theaters, and in the streaming service, you get the extra cuts, and it's... See what I did there? The extra cuts. <laughs> I see what you did. I see what you did. <laughs> I, I don't even know where that cut came from. Right then, oh, so it we're was, gonna. It was, uh, it was Connaughton. It was Friendly Fire too. Oh, dude, man, that's the on worst the thing. on the uh, on the Horford putback with about two minutes left. That was dirty, by the way. That was unbelievable. I thought that was that was the play that I thought I finally it it gave me a false sense of security. Took a deep breath, and you know, next thing you know, it, it is what it is. On to game six, on to Friday oh, Before we get out of there, I've got like two minutes before I need to be somewhere. Um, predictions. Game six, do or die, away in Milwaukee, in front of a hostile crowd, back against the wall. Do the Celtics rise to the occasion or do they fold? Come join us on playback on Sunday. We'll be there for game seven. I want your prediction. Ah, there's your prediction. Okay. Um, my prediction, there's going to be a game seven. Yeah, no, I, I'm so. expecting the Celtics to win. I will be like literally furious. There will be, I will be beside myself with disappointment, anger, and resentment if there is no game seven. I don't know if they're going to win in game seven, but the series is destined for seven. It just feels yeah, that way. It just feels that way. I'd be like vehemently 
like disappointed. I'd just be it, it just wouldn't be good. Right. If you've enjoyed the show, we're gonna be live streaming pretty much every show moving forward for the next few months just to see what that does for the growth and everything. If you've enjoyed watching live, please make sure to subscribe to the Celtics blog podcast feed and any of your podcast aggregators. We never really ask for ratings anymore. I would like it if people enjoyed the show to go give a five-star rating. But more importantly, just share the show around. Like we're meant to share it. We're meant to tweet it out. We're meant to post the links on Instagram and all that because we're running the show. It means far, far more when other people are doing it for us. Tag us in it. We'll share it with you. But it just shows us that we're on the right path. You're enjoying what we're talking about and all that good stuff. So until we will be back again now, this episode will air on Friday. If you want to listen to it back or if you're a regular listener, thank you for being here. And we'll be back again on Monday when I've got a feeling there's going to be an emergency podcast between now and then. But, you know, our regularly scheduled show will be back on Monday. If you're here off us before then. It is what it is. Hey, bonus content. Well, my guy, always a pleasure, brother. Appreciate you, man.